Hey, guess what the title of the sermon is? <laughs> you get one guess. Oh, hey, before we jump into the sermon, um, Tuesday was Veterans Day, and I would love it if you are in the military now or you have ever served in the military, if you would just stand up and be recognized, we'd really appreciate that. Just stand up if you've ever been in the military. Yeah. Uh, it's because of uh, sacrifice of those who have served that I'm able to be up here and say what I want to say, how I want to say it. We can worship the way we choose to, and it's, a, it's just a privilege. And, you know, whenever you see um, someone in uniform in the airport or anyplace else, make it a habit in front of your children especially to stop and thank them. So your kids see you doing that. So it's an example that you said it's a it's kind of a part of their heritage um, as you're part of your family to thank someone who served in the military, men, women um, and all they've done for us. So we got to make sure we have that respect and we teach that to our children. So um, sign seal delivered. We've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks um, and we've been talking about our identity really talking about who we are, what's our identity. And, and we've been studying the book of Ephesians, and I've really, really enjoyed this. We said that Paul shared, over the last couple of weeks, we said that Paul shared three images that would help the people of Ephesus understand their core and primary identity, who they are, because they were struggling so much. They had they'd fallen back into some, some habits, uh, some sinful habits, and Paul heard about that. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing again, but, you know, Paul, in his love for them, wanted to encourage them, knowing what they've been through, knowing the experiences that they're having, he wanted to encourage them by reminding them of who they are. Paul, obviously, and if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, is writing to a slave culture, a culture dominated by slavery. People were were bought and sold like cattle. 25% of the population of Ephesus was in slavery. And also children, we talked about this a few weeks ago, children were abandoned. They were exposed to the elements. If, if, a father, if the father of the home did not pick them up and take them into his family, they were then put out and left to die. And if you study that, the whole idea, this whole concept of exposure and abandonment, what people would do is they would take it to the children to the marketplace. Many times they take the children to the marketplace and they would leave the children there. And it's amazing. They actually had people, they had ways of trying to figure out who would be the biggest and strongest little baby and, you know, laying there. And they would measure their arms and their legs and try to figure out if they were going to be big and strong so they could take those babies for slavery or prostitution. And so they had a whole system in place for abandoning children for exposing children to the elements and all that went with that. And they had this, this, this economic engine, if you will, economic engine of slavery. And like cattle, these people were, were sealed. They were, they were branded with the family seal of the estate into which they served. So you would be sealed, you would be branded so that people knew who you belonged to, if you will. 
And that's the third image that Paul points to, to help them understand, the people of Ephesus, to help them understand who they are, their identity. It's the image of sealing. The image of sealing. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read you 13 and 14. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is trying to remind the the people of Ephesus who they are. He's trying to lay this out for them and remind them who they are. He's saying to them, remember when I came to you and I shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was in Ephesus for a little over two years. And in that time, he spent his, his waking moments, if you will, sharing the gospel, sharing the truth. And the gospel, that gospel is what God used to rescue and to seal the people of Ephesus, the Christians there in Ephesus. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. A seal is a mark of ownership. So as we talk through this, this sealing and branding was a a mark of ownership. It said that I own you. Biblically, the word means to close up. It means to close up or to make sure with a seal. And I I think we've all seen this before. We've seen movies where you have the king. It's usually a king, right? And the king uh, wants to seal a document, a paper document. And so what they'll show you is they'll take wax and it was you, mud was used. But, you know, we see on TV it was wax and they, they drip the wax onto the envelope or to the paper. And then the king takes his family crest, his ring, his family crest, and he presses down and makes an indentation on that wax to seal it. And once the wax hardens, then you have a seal, a seal that can be used to, to, to mark who the owner of that document was. And if it was the king, you not dare open it. It was only meant for the person who he was sending it, or to which he was sending it. So you have the seal of the king. So uh, that, kind of, that kind of thing doesn't work when it comes to livestock, right? When it comes to living things. And so what people started to do is they started to brand their livestock or in this case, they started to brand people. Again, a brand would be like a seal. It was a mark of ownership. When I when I branded you, they branded people with a hot iron because obviously, again, the the, the wax wouldn't work on 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 a human so they, brand, they started branding their cattle. They started branding their livestock. They started branding their slaves with a hot iron. Remember the movie Gladiator? You had Maximus, played by Russell Crowe. And on Maximus's arm is tattooed four letters, S-P-Q-R. And that was a, that was, they, they, they sealed him or they branded him, they tattooed him with those four letters. And it was a recognition that that, that person was uh, a, a, a person who was branded for the emperor. It was, a, it was a mark of service. He was serving the emperor. Soldiers were tattooed at that point. 
but slaves were branded, and there was a big difference. And it was pretty amazing. There were also different types as I was studying this. I got, I got, I got goosebumps a lot during this series, but I got goosebumps because you'll understand why as I keep moving forward here. But in Rome, they would, they would brand people not only for ownership, but they would brand people according to the choices they had made in the past. So if you made a mistake or you were caught doing something, they would brand you with that as well. Ancient Romans branded people who were thieves, for example, if you, or a liar. Say you were a liar. Say you lied to your master. They would brand K-A-L on your face. K-A-L, which was a representation. It was, it was the word kaluma. Kaluma. And they would, it basically meant a person who lied or a person who told a falsehood, someone who uh, misrepresented something. Kaluma, so K-A-L was stamped on you. And if you were a slave and say that you were a runaway, slaves who were runaways would have branded on their faces, right? Branded directly on their faces, F-U-G, fugitivas. F-U-G, which meant runaway. And then if you were a thief, right? If you were a thief, it was F-U-R. And F-U-R represented the furus. It was the, it was the, it was the Latin word for thief, furus. So you had these brands that they would, they would literally, if you did something, whatever you did. Now think about this for a second. Everyone sitting here, would you like to be branded with what you did last week? On your forehead? So they would brand you with, your, with what you had done. So if you were a thief, if you were a runaway, if you were a liar, they would brand you with those things. The, the furest, it means furest, which is, you know, the whole idea of a thief. A furest means he is a thief. So branded on your face, okay, would say... This person is a thief. You are a thief. You are a liar. You are a runaway. You are whatever I brand you to be. Think about that. And this whole concept of God adopting us into his family, redeeming us. And now we're talking about sealing. And the Romans at that time, and remember, Paul understood all this in his language. So he's watching this culture of slavery where people are walking around with marks on their faces of number one, this is who owns you. And number two, this is who you are. I would not like this if I were there. I, this, this would not go well with my personality. That someone would say, here's who owns you and here's who you are. You're done. This is who you are. You're a thief. You're a liar. You're a murderer. You're a whatever. You, you, you're a runaway. They, they mark you and brand you with those things. So Paul is writing to a culture in which people are literally sealed, if you will, with who owns them. And what they have done, who owns them, what they've done. It seems to me that's really from a spiritual standpoint, what Satan does to us and what the world does to us. When before, you know, Christ, you have someone who's the Lord of your life and it's not God. It's the evil one. And then you have the world who just loves nothing more. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but the world loves nothing more than when a person makes a mistake. Say you, you, you did something when you were younger and they basically give you a nickname. Right. For something that you some mistake that you made or or, a, you know, you said something or some. And all of a sudden the world loves to 
seal us, brand us, mark us with our past. Oh, that's the guy who, this guy cheated. That's the guy, that guy's a liar. This guy's a whatever. I remember the time when this, this, that girl, this woman, that man, that boy, whatever else. We love to go back and say, that's who that person is. They did this in the past. Therefore, that's who they are. That's the guy who, or that's the woman who. And Paul wanted them to understand that when God, when God adopted them, when God redeemed them, when God sealed them into his family, their past is forgiven. It is no longer held against them. And we say, we read this and we go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, you know, my past is forgiven, no longer held against me. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear this if you were one of them? With a, big, with a big thing across your forehead saying, you, this man is a liar. This person is a thief. This person is a runaway. This person is a whatever. And all of a sudden, Paul comes along and says, wait a second. Wait a second. I got some news for you. Someone more important bought you, paid a heavy price for you by sending his son. You are not who they claim you are. That is not who you are. That is not your primary and core identity. It's not who you are. I have forgiven you of your... I love that about Christianity. It's like if we have... This is like a, a whiteboard. And, I'm gonna, and, and every Satan writes down every sin you've ever committed and, and holds it up to your face all the time. This is who you are. Do you remember who you are? Remember that mistake that you made. Remember those, those, those failures that you had. Remember the time you... Remember the time you... And when you ask Christ to come into your life, it's like this giant eraser. And he erases it completely. God chooses, he can do this, to forgive you and, and this is cool, we can't do this, but he chooses to forget it. So if you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you had done something in the past, and you come to God after you ask Christ to come into your life, and you say, hey, God, I'm really sorry about, he was, what are you talking about? Well, the time I, what are you talking about? Now, obviously, God's God. He remembers anything he wants to. He chooses to forgive, and God chooses to put those things aside. I love this verse. In Psalm 103, 12, it tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God has separated us from those things. That is not who I am. It's not who I am. When I asked Christ to come into my life, he changed me. The Romans sealed you. They branded you forever with your failures, with your mistakes, with your sins, whatever it was. They branded you forever. That is who you are. Everyone knows it. There's nothing you can do about it. Every time you look at the person's face, you are reminded, they are reminded as well, that this is who I am. But when God sees, seals you, it's the complete opposite. See, this is what Paul's saying. Isn't this cool? Someone say amen. amen. Because this is really cool. All right? Now, when God, and we can think we're not slaves, but at the same time, we go through this in our own lives. Some of you, some of you are trying to overcome things you've done in your past and your family. You, here comes the holidays. You're going to sit around a table and uncle whoever, your mom or someone, your cousin, your brother is going to bring up or make you feel like less than because it makes them feel a little better about themselves. They're going to keep bringing up things that happened 20 years ago. Who gives a rip what happened 20 years ago? It's not who you are. 
And so the Romans said, your mistakes, your failures, all those things, they're stamped on you forever. When God seals us, it's the opposite. Your past is forgiven. Here's the cool thing. I am a new creation. I ask Christ to come into my life. His blood covers me. I am forgiven for all of my sins. And I am, it says, born again. I am born again. I, I start over. It's a do-over. It's a do-over. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. It's not made up by Jeff Greer. This is the truth. The old is gone and the new has begun. The old is gone. The new has begun. I love it. I love it. The old is gone. The new has begun. I'll tell you something. You can't brand me as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't, I'm saying you as a whole, the world, I'm speaking to the whole world, you can't brand me if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because your, 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 your labels and your characterizations of me won't stick. They will not stick because I have been adopted. I have been redeemed. I have been sealed. I have been brought into God's family and I am being transformed into the likeness of Christ every single day. Some of you have known me in this room. I know this for like 23 years. You've known me since I've been in Cincinnati. And some of you say, well, I could tell you some stories about him way back when. Boy, he was this and he was a little more this and he was ready fire aim and he was blah, blah, blah. And he was this. You know, you could tell all kinds of stories. But here's the thing. That's not I have been I am being transformed to the image of Christ, just like all of you. So who I was 20 years ago is not who I am right now. Who I am right now is not going to be who I am a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So your characterizations of each other, other people. And you're and you're, you're what you try to tag someone or, or say that, boom, this is who they are. That doesn't work for a Christian because they're constantly through the Holy Spirit of God being transformed to the likeness of Christ. And the impatient become patient and the angry overcome their anger. Those who used to use foul language no longer do. Those who used to be liars are no longer liars. Those who were thieves stop stealing. They're different if they're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is such a good thing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? You are not, you are not that one event. You are not that one circumstance. You are not that one mistake. You are not the person who you used to be. You used to be a drug addict and an alcoholic. You're not that person anymore. You're not that person anymore. Don't let people tell you this is who you are. You're not that person anymore. You're not the liar. You're not this. You're not them. You are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. I don't care what they sealed you, how they sealed you. I don't care who they say owns you. I don't care about any of those things. What I'm telling you is the one who bought you owns you. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I let your transgressions be separated from each other. See, the seal is a promise. It's God saying, I've adopted you. I bought you. I own you. And I will never, you are my child. And I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Once a person is adopted and redeemed and sealed, that is it. They are God's forever. 
No one can undo what God has done. You belong to him. You cannot lose what God has done in your life. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 21 and 22 reminds us. And now this is something important because some people just feel like, oh, man, I accepted Christ. And now I'm not living that way. And all of a sudden you're feeling this this terrible guilt and, and all in this condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You belong to God. The great thing about being a Christian is when you feel convicted, you ask God to 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 forgive you for the things that you've done and again erase everything we start all over again that's why we ask for things in jesus name because christ covers us we have one who goes to the father in our defense jesus christ the righteous one who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins not only for ours but also the sins of the whole world and once you have that it belongs you belong to god you can't lose that in second corinthians 1 21 and 22 it reminds us now it is god who makes both us and you stand firm in christ Listen, he anoints us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. If I truly walk with Jesus Christ, if I ask him to come into my life, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Your identity in Christ comes from God. You have your identity in Jesus Christ, and that is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. You ask Christ to come into your heart. You ask Christ to come into your life. The Father gives you the Holy Spirit, which seals that forever. He adopted you. You are his child. That is the core of who who you are. That is your primary identity. Your primary identity is not your job or your career. Your primary identity is not found in your titles. Your primary identity is not found in your appearance. It's not found in your wealth. It's not found in anything else. Your core and primary identity is that you've been adopted into God's family. I belong to God. You belong to God and you're constantly changing. You're constantly being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. See, when I understand and believe that, I'm free. Think about this. When I truly understand what's being taught here, I'm free. I'm free from the bondage of sin. I'm free. I'm free from worrying about what everybody else thinks about what I should do, what I shouldn't do, who I am, who I'm not. I'm free from the. I don't I don't belong to them. They don't tell me who I am. They don't dictate my destiny. God does. I'm free from worrying about what everybody else thinks about my life. I'm free to grow old with grace. I don't have to worry about my appearance. That's not my identity. It's not who I am. I am free to invest in my career and not make that dominate my life. It doesn't have to doesn't have to basically become my life. I'm free to serve God. I'm free to serve him with my whole heart and give back to him with my whole heart. See, the years, my friends, are going to fly by. They are, if you, I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like Christmas comes every two months now. I don't, it used to feel like it came every 20 years when you were little, right? You're like, oh my goodness, you know. When, when Christmas is over, you're like, i got to wait a whole year for Christmas. And I'm now, I woke up like a couple of days ago, I'm like, Christmas is like, bam, here it comes again. Time you turn around, they're starting to set things up in the stores and everything in like September, right? It just goes in there. Time just flies by. And I know that someday I'm going to be home with the one who adopted me. I'm going to be the home with the one who redeemed me, with the one who owns me, with the one who sealed me. See, once the Ephesians remembered who they were, who they were 
once they understood who they were, Paul begins now to turn his attention back to some of their behavioral patterns, back to some of the things that need to change. But first, he spent all this time investing in them, helping them to remember who they were. And then in Ephesians 4, 1, okay, first three chapters, remember, remember, remember who you are. It wasn't until 4, 1 that he says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, listen to this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I'm going to read that again. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I tell people all the time, well, these are religions and these false religions and everything. They, they're all based on works. They're based on you have to do something or God's going to get you or God's going to abandon you or God's going to do something to you. Or you're not going to whatever. I don't fi- just you. Let's just be clear. I don't obey God because I'm terrified that all of a sudden he's going to abandon me and he's not going to love me anymore or I'm going to be sent to hell because I made this mistake. Or, I, don't, I don't obey God because of those things. I am under grace. I'm not under law. I obey God because I love him so much because I believe and understand what Paul is talking about here when he's talking to the people of Ephesus. I understand it. I do. And I know how amazing his grace is. And so therefore, I love him so much, I want to obey him. When I fall short of obeying him, I ask him to forgive me through Jesus Christ. I am forgiven and I move on. I don't walk around ducking from my father. I don't walk around worrying that somehow he's not going to love me as much because he doesn't see me. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. When he looks at me, he sees Christ standing right in front of me. It's, and, so, and so he says, he says, uh, to, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. When Daniel was here, Daniel got up and spoke last week for a couple of minutes just, just talking about, um, you know, he's from Nigeria and he's a director of Back to Back in Nigeria. And we were in the, we were in the high school group last Sunday night. And he named his sons Daniel Osama, Daniel Osama the first, and his second son Daniel Osama the second, or second or third. Yeah. So he named his children. Both his boys are. His name is Daniel Osama, and so his first son is Daniel Osama, and his second son is Daniel Osama. The kids were like, "Uh, why would you do that?" And uh, so when it came question time, first question: Why'd you name both the kids Daniel Osama? And I was waiting for, you know, I thought, no, I got to the same thing. Why don't you name both your kids Daniel Osama? It's up to you. It's culture or whatever else. But he said, and I won't get into the whole thing. I don't have time. But he basically said, I respect and love my father. I so love and respect my father. I'm named after my father. And he said, my father was a great man. And I carry his name. And I named my boys Daniel and Daniel, basically. Both first, you know, Daniel Osama, Daniel Osama. I named them that. Because it, it, it forces me or encourages me to live, to live in such a way that my children want to live up to the example that I have set, that my father has set, that I have set. So it encourages me to live, to be that person who they can look to, they can look up to, they can follow, they can say, I am Daniel Osama's son. My name is Daniel Osama. And the other, other boy can say, I am Daniel Osama. I am, I am Daniel Osama's son. And he went through and explained how important that was. How important it was because as his boys get older, if they don't live up to the name, people in the village are going to say, you are disgracing the name of your father. You disgrace his name. You are not Daniel Osama. I know Daniel, your father, this was who your father was. You are not acting like your father. 
You're not, you're not, you're not living like your father. And he, and he said something that basically almost made me cry. He said, he said, when I first, my son, Joshua, he said, Josh came up to me in the, in the building here to introduce himself. And what he said is, my name is Josh. I'm Jeff Greer's son. That's how he introduced himself. And he said, if a, if a, if a son is not respectful and doesn't love and respect his father, then he doesn't say, hi, my name is Josh. I'm Jeff Greer's son. This is what Paul, and basically what Paul is saying here, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have been adopted by God the Father. You have been redeemed. You have been sealed. You, you represent Jesus Christ. You represent God the Father. You need to live a life worthy of the name. You are not this person that stamped a liar or whatever. That's not who you are. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are owned by God. You've been adopted into his family. So he says, I urge you, I urge you, remember who you are, remember. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Now I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now Paul's ready to go after their actions, to address their sexual impurity, to address their lying and their stealing and their foul language and their angry outbursts. Now he's willing to do that because the Ephesians know who they are and whose they are. They understand whose they are. See, when I remember when I remember who I am, I live differently. I serve differently. I give differently. I think differently. When I remember who I am, I think differently. When I start to lose, when I start to, uh, to, to, to do some things, for example, when I start to feel like I have to control the situation, I have to control the situation, I have to control the people. When my control behavior starts coming out, I realize... I've forgotten who I am. When I, when, I, when I find myself getting in negative conversations and, 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 uh, and putting other people down or criticizing the people around me and make myself look better at work or at school, when I start picking on someone else at the other table and everyone laughs and everything, what's happening is I'm forgetting who I am. Why do I need to put someone else down to lift myself up? Why? Because you care more about what those people think of you. Now they're determining your identity. You're concerned about what they think. When you know you're a child of God, your core and primary identity is being adopted in his family and being his child. You don't have to put anybody else down. You don't have to criticize anybody else. When I, when I, when I find myself getting um, angry in situations that really aren't warranted, then most likely I've forgotten who I am. I begin to forget who I am. See, when I remember who I am, I realize that my primary and core identity is in Jesus Christ, and I I learn to control my emotions. I don't have to get caught up in what someone else says or what someone else thinks or what someone else does. I learn to control my my emotions and, 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 and I'm able to put things in perspective, if you will. I, I don't let external issues control my actions. Things that happen externally don't don't control my emotions. I don't emotionally react to everything. I don't I don't act out upon my emotions because those external things don't drive me. They don't own me. They don't dictate my emotions. They don't dictate. Even if they do dictate my emotions, sometimes my frustration, I don't act out on those things because I remember who I am. See, I'm free to give love because I have received love from God. So I'm I'm able to do those things. That's why Paul, 
you think during this whole time we've been in Ephesians here in this whole series um, and part of this series, you know, Paul, Paul's recognizing that he wants to be patient with these people because they've experienced some really difficult and challenging times. These people, these people have been have been experienced severe rejection. They've they've gone through horrible circumstances. And so Paul's trying to be patient with them. These are people that are bought and branded like cattle. And so he, he looks at his brothers and sisters in Christ and he shows compassion to them. And instead of criticizing, attacking or whatever, he had every right to to come to them and say, hey, here's how you should be living. Instead of doing that, he says, just remember who you are. You see, Paul understood something that we need to understand. He understood that they desperately need to be reminded of who they are and whose they are. And every single person in this room, don't we? Just think about this. This is why we, we mess up in life and we get frustrated or we get whatever we backslide. It's because we forget who we are. We need to remember who we are. We need to constantly remind ourselves of who we are. Knowing your primary identity allows you, my friends, to live a different life. It'll allow you to live with confidence, free from the expectations and the conformity and the confusion and inconsistency of this world in which most people live. But we're freed from those things. You and I have been signed, sealed, and delivered by a loving God. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed. We have been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me just close with with these thoughts. Knowing you belong to God impacts every single area of your entire life. Nothing, no challenge, no adversity, no pain, no confusion escapes the brush, the, the brush strokes, if you will, of our, of our loving God. Nothing, nothing escapes it. God's love bleeds into the fiber and fabric of our lives. When we understand who we belong to, when we understand who we are, it changes everything. It changes how we view our circumstances. When we know we're in the arms of God, when we know that God loves us, when we know we're adopted into his family, when we know we belong to him, it changes everything. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. Let me, let me, let me read you a story. It's about a little boy who got separated from his mom in the mall. He was looking around for his mommy and getting really, really scared. And he began to cry because everyone was a stranger and everything looked so confusing and every store was packed and he didn't have his mom. A security guard stood by him and tried to console him, but to no avail. Suddenly he saw his mom and said with a loud voice, I belong to her. His mom ran to him and picked him up and held him tight. He calmed down and his eyes began to dry not because his surroundings had changed, but because of whose arms he was in. When you have someone you belong to who loves you, holding you, it doesn't matter what anyone else and everyone else says or does or thinks, what the circumstances are or what the future may hold. When you are in the arms of a loving God, when you've been picked up and adopted into his family, you know who you are and you are confident that everything is going to be okay. And that, my friends, is the truth. Regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, the circumstances don't have to change in your life. 
The situations don't have to change. What does have to change is your mind. Understanding and remembering who you are. And that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that I am a child of God. That I have been redeemed. That I have been sealed by God. That I am a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A person belonging to God. That is who I am. And when we understand that, it changes everything else in our lives. No matter what the enemy throws at you. No matter what the enemy reminds you of in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because those things have been separated from you. You are a new creation. You belong to God. You have been adopted. You have been redeemed. You have been sealed. Game over. That is who I am. That is who you are. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. God, we believe this is true. We want to own this in our lives, Lord God. We want to own the fact that you are our God. You are our Father. We belong to you and you alone. You alone determine who we become. You alone determine who we are as people. You alone determine, Lord God, all of those things. So we pray with all of our hearts that you would remind us of that. Remind us like Paul reminded the people of Ephesus. Remind us, remind us, remind us so we can live lives worthy of the one who called us, the one who redeemed us, the one who owns us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, let's stand up and just close with this song. Let's sing with all of our hearts.